0: Do the first reading or both? First reading. First reading. Psalm 18. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, This is Psalm 18. There is an introduction to it, which is part of the inspired text. It tells us about it, this song. For the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you. Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I've been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From His temple He heard my voice. My cry came before Him into His ears. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountain shook. They trembled because He was angry. Smoke rose from His nostrils, consuming fire came from His mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundation of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because He delighted in me." This is the Word of the Lord. Um, Thanks be to God. We'll do the next one. Uh, One question you might like to ask me at some point is why that last verse is so special to us. In our family, we had a very serious situation one time and the Lord, When it happened, we ended up reading this psalm uh, providentially, accidentally, and it's been special ever since. I'll tell you about it one day. But we are in Galatians, and we're chapter 5, and we're at verse 25, and we'll go through into chapter 6. Though since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. You want me to, oh sorry, on to verse 6. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Good evening, great to be with you.
1: My name's Roger and Justin, thank you so much for having me back. It's a really nice thing. And David, I'm sorry I don't have a great voice like yours or that beautiful Scottish lilt. Although I must admit, I had an uncle who was Scottish. Uh, He used to be my soccer coach. We couldn't understand a word he said. But your lilt sounds wonderful. Uh, It's great to be here with you and great to be looking at this uh, passage again, or this passage this evening. Um, last time I was with you, we kind of located the whole of Galatians in God's story, and we suggested that one way of looking at God's story was to suggest that there was five different chapters. People come up with a, a number of different ways of doing this. One is creation, fall, redemption, renewal, restoration, and that we're in this period of renewal, um, where God is at work renewing us and changing us, transforming us, um, And, in fact, what's been happening with the Galatians is that there's been a number of people coming into the Church of Galatia and they've been saying to the people in the Church of Galatia, we want you to go back before the time when Jesus was crucified, died and risen, and we want you to act like Jewish people, particularly in relation to the whole idea of circumcision. Now, the amazing thing is Paul has unpacked that and looked at that and thought about that um, and then taken us to a point where he wants us to see a new vision, a new way of looking at things, a new way of behaving, a new way of living by the Spirit of being renewed. And so tonight we continue that journey and continue to think about what does that actually look like uh, for us. And I guess uh, at the beginning of this uh, sermon, I want to make a point that I guess the implication is of this passage that we are objects of renewal and agents of renewal. I will come back to that right at the end. It's like the beginning and the end of what we're saying this evening. But I just wanted to say that the implication of what we're talking about tonight is that we're objects of renewal and agents of renewal uh, if we are people who follow Jesus. Now, I want to split this passage up into three different sections. You can see one, two, three there, and we're just going to work our way through it this evening and consider what God has to say uh, to us. Well, let's begin. Number one. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. And as we start out, I was struck by those first words. Those who belong to Jesus Christ. That's a remarkable statement. I don't know whether you've ever been in the position where you haven't belonged. Maybe it's at school, maybe it's at work, maybe it's in your family. Maybe you've moved countries and you're not quite sure. This statement just simply says that if you're a follower of Jesus, you belong. You might remember those words from Galatians chapter 4. God sent his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are God's child, you're also made an heir. And I think to the extent that we understand those words and let them sink sink deeply into our hearts is the extent which these words that then Paul unpacks for us will make sense to the way that we live together. But I want us to remember as we go into this, we belong. We belong as sons and daughters of God. We are his children. And since we are his children, and since we live by his spirit, what does Paul instruct? Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Now, it's interesting to think about what the idea of this being conceited means. Um, It's not a word I actually use that often, the idea of being conceited. I don't Normally think of people as being conceited. And so I had to do some thinking and and digging as to how this word actually works. And one of the things I discovered is that conceited means the idea of a perceived absence of honour that leads us to need to seek honour for ourselves. The need to seek honour for ourselves because we don't feel like we've been paid the honour due to us. Now, this is particularly significant when we consider the context that Paul is writing to. Uh, What he's suggesting here is that people are seeking honour for themselves. And, of course, the context that Paul is writing to is a context in which people sought honour all the time. Honour was one of those significant values of the community. In terms of their cultural relationships, people were treated according to the way they were ascribed honour. And so one of the ways that you were recognized in a society was that you were honored. Now in our society, we seek freedom, I think, not honor in the same way. But here, what's happening is Paul is recognizing that people are seeking after honor. And that produces all kinds of rivalry amongst people. Uh, Tension in everyday life. Are you honoring me? Am I being honored? How do I honor other people? All those kinds of things are starting to play out in the life of the people in Galatia. And maybe, actually, this is tied up with the ideas of the Jews and circumcision and who's being paid honour and who's being recognised, that kind of thing as well. And so there's a hierarchical scale, and this conceit comes out of that hierarchical scale of honour. What's interesting, I think, is that Paul goes on to describe... Oh, sorry. One of the ways to think about honour is to think of it as being an honour thief. Uh, you know the, the whole idea of photobombing? Uh, someone jumps into the picture and steals the limelight. Well, conceit is like being an honour thief. It's uh, trying to grab the honour for yourself. And so Paul goes on to describe what that looks like by talking about provoking and envying now, if you provoke someone, what you're doing is you're saying that you're superior to them. you can kind of poke them, and you can kind of make them react it's, it's like saying they're beneath you, and you 're in charge. you receive the honor. on the other hand, envying means looking up and wishing that you had the honour of the person that you're looking up to. Either way, it leads you to a kind of conceit because conceit drives you away from treating the other person as they should be to trying to look at yourself and position yourself in the relationship to them. And so your attention is on yourself and your honour, not on serving the other person. And so Paul starts and opens up this idea by pointing out that we are not to be conceited, not to be people who provoke each other, and not to be people who envy each other. And that particular stance actually becomes really important throughout the passage. And you can see it sort of cascade down through the passage in this way. Uh, In the second uh, part that we'll look at, watch yourselves or you may be tempted, this idea of looking at your own actions and understanding your own motivations and own heart uh, when you speak with other people. Then further on, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one of you should test their own actions, then take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. You can see how that works there, can't you, when you're thinking about this idea um, in terms of envying and being conceited and in terms of provoking others. And Paul is saying, take a different stance to that when you consider your relationship with other people, when you consider other people who belong to Jesus Christ. Now, we want to unpack that a little bit further, but that's the stance of the passage. Do not be conceited. Do not envy other people. Do not provoke other people. Well, Paul continues, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves as you may also be tempted. Now, Paul wants to highlight the fact that actually we are all people who may be caught in sin, may be caught doing something against God and against one another. But here he's pointing out that a sin is particularly obvious. Now, there's a number of ways that we can read this. Uh, one way is to suggest that someone accidentally finds themselves caught in sin. So it's a bit like, uh, I like the Tour de France, and I like watching it, and I like seeing those bikes take off, but every now and then there's this huge crash. And if you're, if you're not the person um, who's caused the crash, you just get caught up into it, And there's bikes everywhere and bodies everywhere. It's a great big mess. And so I think Paul might be referring to the idea here of sometimes we just get caught up in a great big mess in terms of doing things against other people and doing things against God. There is another thought here, and that is that potentially what Paul's referring to is a mess that we continue in. So we might find ourselves in a mess or we might find ourselves doing something against God and others, but we remain there and we continue on in the way that we behave. Now, Paul is saying here, brothers and sisters, if you see someone caught in a mess for whatever reason, caught in sin, what's to happen? You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now the word that's actually used here is a a word that's used in physiotherapy. It's a word that means putting your shoulder back in when it's out. So imagine you've had a crash, the bike crash has happened, your shoulder is out, and the physiotherapist comes and puts it back in. Now, of course, the problem here is that hurts. But in order for that person to be restored, they need to have their shoulder put back in. In order for that person to function well, they need to have their shoulder put back in. And so Paul says, as brothers and sisters in Christ, if we see someone who is sinning against God or against others, perhaps it's our role to be an agent of renewal in their life, to restore them gently. Now, of course, Paul's caveat is we've got to watch ourselves and watch what is happening with us at the same time, that we don't become conceited, either envying or provoking other people. But there is this idea of restoring someone who's been overtaken by sin. Now, just as a a bit of a sidebar here, there's a couple of problems with this, isn't there? There's a couple of things that make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, and I think it's because of the air we're breathing at the moment. This week I was at a conference and a guy called Christopher Watkins talked about the air that we are breathing. And one of the things that he noticed is that in our world at the moment, and you've heard this before, no doubt, we are very committed to freedom, but it's a very specific kind of freedom. Uh, It's not every kind of freedom, it's a freedom that's expressed in this way. I want the freedom to make my reality in any way that I want it to be. I am free to be me and I will live my life as I determine. What happens as a result of that is choice becomes paramount. Choosing means good. And alternatively, the lack of choice is bad or is oppression. Now, we're the first people in history who view things in this way, in this specific way. It's a particular form of freedom that we're after. The Christian view is very subversive at this point. As we've heard from Galatians already, it's only Christ that sets you free. And that freedom is found in following him, not making reality in any way that we want. So freedom's important, yes. We can concur. But actually, it's not found in making reality in every way we want. It's not found in choices, and choice is not the way we determine good or bad. God is the way. God determines what is good and bad. And you can see how subversive that is in the context that we are in. Now, why that's important to understand here is that it makes the conversations we have with one another extra difficult. Because if I'm the person who determines how I live in the way that I should live, then someone sidling up to me and saying, can I restore you gently, brother or sister? I notice that your behaviour is not one in which is following God. And because we're so individualistic, we find that whole notion actually quite an anathema. Like, what's this person speaking into my life like this? What right do they have? Can you hear yourself saying that? I can. Why why would you speak to me like this? And so we find this particular teaching a little bit difficult. And yet, you note all the caveats that Paul's put in place. He wants us to be very careful, gentle. He's about the restoration of other people about the helping of other people. He's about discipleship, about ensuring that people are renewed, that we are agents of renewal in our churches. Of course, there's another problem here, and I'm going to move on from the problems in a moment, and that is just actually the way Paul's behaved in the letter. Did you notice? He begins the letter with being astonished at how quickly they're deserting uh, the one who called them to the grace of Jesus Christ, And then it just just sort of kind of ramps up as we go throughout the word to the point where in chapter 5 he says, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Now hang on, that's a pretty bold statement when you've just said we want to restore one another gently. It's tricky. Because of the air we breathe, and the idea in Australia in particular that we don't like tall poppies, I think we've got a complex problem here. And once again, the Christian view is subversive. One of the things the Bible talks about is the idea that Christian leaders should be respected and honoured in what they do. They have a particular role to teach congregations and to oversee congregations. And I think that's what Paul is doing here. He's overseeing the Church of Galatia, He's making statements because he's concerned about the life of the church, and he's concerned publicly and stating it publicly so that everybody hears. And I think that's actually part of the role of a pastor, of a leader, as uncomfortable as that is. Now, I'm not saying that leaders should abuse their authority, I'm not saying that at all. But what is also true. Is that while a pastor may make statements, or a leader might make statements, or a minister might make statements in a particular way that guide their flock, the way they come alongside people is to be gentle, is to be restorative in the personal conversations that take place. Now, that's not hypocritical, it's just the way that it works. We're thinking through, it's complicated, I know. No easy answers here but we do notice those differences and I want to encourage you to keep thinking, what does it mean to follow Jesus at this particular point? To be an object of renewal, to perhaps move from where you are and be an agent of renewal as you speak with your friends. Okay, let's leave that difficult bit alone. Um, one of the things before we move on, R- Reserve Butterfield puts it this way, we are not extending grace to people when we try to be more merciful than God. Than God. We put a millstone around the other person's neck. In other words, uh, if we just let people keep going on in their sinful life and we don't actually say anything, we're actually not helping them in the long run. Okay, Paul then continues, and this is our third section, carry each other's burdens... So he's talked about speaking into each other's another's lives, correcting one another, and then he says, carry each other's burdens. And he does this because he says, well, we're going to fulfil the law of Christ, uh, which we're told in Galatians chapter 5, is to love your neighbour as yourself. Now, the interesting thing here is that to carry someone else's burdens, you cannot carry someone else's burdens unless you come very close to the burdened person. You're virtually standing in their shoes, aren't you, if you're carrying someone else's burdens. As you lift a weight with them, you're understanding someone emotionally, physically, spiritually. You're walking very close with them. You're being with them in the challenges of life. And so carrying one another's burdens is the way that you love your neighbour. Is the way that you love your neighbour within your church. Now, of course, he says, um, don't deceive yourself. Test your own actions. Be careful what you're doing. Don't take pride in yourself. Don't continue to compare yourself with other people and think yourself better. Um, I remember when my wife went to university one or two years ago, um, there was lots of... uh, She did social work, and there was lots of people doing social work who were doing it because they thought themselves better than everybody else. Um, And they thought, well, we will help those poor, dear people who need our help. It was remarkable. But sometimes I think, actually, we can be a little bit like that. We're better off, so we'll help everybody else. No, 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 we're not. Let's carry one another's burdens. Stop comparing ourselves to other people. Recognise who we are before God, brothers and sisters in Christ. And then Paul goes on and and kind of says something else which seems to contradict what he's saying. And he says, bear your own load. Everyone should carry their own load. Now it's actually not a contradiction because the idea of burden and load are two different things. The idea of load here is, is like a backpack. It's The circumstances and things that you have gathered in life yourself. The various things uh, that have shaped you. The various opportunities and weaknesses that you have. And Paul is saying here, everyone should be aware of their own circumstances and their own load. Not that we shouldn't share it with other people, but actually we do need to carry our own things. Now there is a sense also here where... The load is something to do with the way that God will view us. There's a hint here that God will actually keep us to account for the way we bear the things that we have in life, that he will seek to call us into account. And so, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, we read, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and expose the motives of the heart Um, At that time, each of you will receive the praise from God. And so there's a sense in which this load is about who we are and the way we carry things through life. So while we are actually supporting one another and bearing one another's load, we also have a, a load ourselves. We also have a backpacker of circumstances ourselves, which we are not to compare to other people, but belongs to us. And we are to carry it. Now, of course, as the psalmist reminded us, uh, when that load feels extra heavy, we are to turn to the God who walks with us, who delights in us, who understands and sees our particular circumstances. And as we do that, what happens is we start to understand what God has played out for us. Now, sometimes one of the challenges is to understand what is our own load. Now, what is it that we are called to carry? And one of the books that I found fairly useful, in this is called a book called "Grow Yourself," Growing Yourself Up. Uh, it really helps you start to think through what's mine and what's yours. What, what's my load and what sort of things should I carry and what other things belong to other people? And I think it's quite a useful book. Um, it... It has a pretty pejorative title, doesn't it? It sounds like I need to be growed up, but uh, look, it's better than that. I think it's the wrong name in some ways. It helps in terms of understanding, and scrutinised by a Christian psychologist who's trying to help people understand what is their load and what it is they are to bear. Okay, finally then. As we've seen throughout the passage, what's actually been happening is Paul has been talking about the fact that we are objects of renewal. We are people who have still work to do on ourselves, we still have things to face, Uh, there are still things that God wants to do with us, and what happens is he uses other people to correct us and lead us and disciple us. But in turn, we are also called to be people who are agents of renewal. In other words, God calls us to carry other people's burdens, to walk beside them, and to support them in what they're doing. And at times, to come to them and gently restore them into the way of the Lord. Let me pray. Father God, we give you thanks and praise for your word, and we thank you for the way that you continue to speak to us and shape and transform us. And Father, we ask that as we've uh, listened to these words this evening that you might continue to help us uh, consider these things in this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.